Hey, it's Greg Brown. Grab your logbook, because it's time for another cockpit adventure from the flying carpet. I'm an aviation author, adventure columnist, photographer, former National Flight Instructor of the Year, and Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. The Flying Carpet is a four-place single-engine light airplane. In it, my wife Jean and I have long traveled the North American continent, searching behind clouds for the real America, and experiencing aerial adventures like today's all along the way. Learn more at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, where you can also see photos from most episodes. And I'd appreciate your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Okay, everyone, hop aboard my flying carpet, buckle your seatbelts, and prepare to take off on today's adventure, Sky King and the Old Apache. Clear prop. Twin-engine airplanes weren't available for rent at my old home airport of Lafayette, Indiana. So when I decided to pursue multi-engine training, I went down the road to Herman Brown's Flying Service in Terre Haute. Brownie, as he was known in the neighborhood, fit the mold of old-time pilot examiners. Hard-boiled and independent, but warm-hearted once you got to know him. Brownie was no introvert. Each visit to his flight school featured lengthy stories about the days when he served as freelance pilot for Kirby Grant, who starred as rancher pilot Sky King in the popular 1950s television series. For those not old enough to remember, Sky King was a hit TV western that ran in reruns well into the 1960s. In it, rancher pilot Skylar King, played by actor Kirby Grant, flew daring missions from his ranch airstrip nabbing bad guys, rescuing innocent victims, and performing good deeds all around. Often Sky King was accompanied on these adventures by his niece Penny, played by Gloria Winters, with whom countless teenage boy viewers were in love. Particularly cool, though, was that Sky's exploits took place in general aviation aircraft. His first songbird was an imposing Cessna Bobcat, also known in the day as the Bamboo Bomber, later followed in the majority of episodes by the hottest personal airplane of its day, a twin-engine Cessna 310. Out of the blue of the western sky comes Sky King, heralded the opening as the songbird blasted by. Artistic merit and technical accuracy aside, Sky King's huge television popularity ultimately motivated many young people to learn to fly, including myself. My dad owned a 310 at the time, and my brother Alan and I could easily imagine flying such adventures in our family airplane. Heck, Sky's Songbird even appeared to be painted like ours, though we couldn't be sure it was the same two-tone green on that black-and-white television series. Anyway, so effective was Sky King in popularizing general aviation that ultimately Cessna provided a new 310 for filming and publicity use. During the show's heyday, it turned out that Brownie had chauffeured Kirby Grant around the country for Sky King promotional appearances in the show's 310. Given Grant's heroic aviator role, I was disappointed to learn that the actor wasn't a practicing pilot. 
We'd swap seats after landing, Brownie told me, so Grant would look like the pilot to fans waiting at the ramp. Back then, everyone knew the popular series, so it was good marketing when Brownie renamed his field Sky King Airport. Brownie's flight school offered bargain basement multi-engine training in an aging Piper Apache. Learning to safely manage engine failures is demanding in any twin-engine airplane due to the turning effect of the working engine pulling on one side while the dead engine generates drag on the other. But those challenges were amplified in the antiquated Apache. For starters, there was a temperamental cabin door common to early low-wing pipers. Located on the passenger side, it was notorious for opening of its own accord in flight. Rarely in most airplanes does an open door create serious aerodynamic hazard, but accidents sometimes occur when panicking pilots lose control. It didn't help that hapless Apache aviators occasionally experienced control yoke buffeting when the open door disturbed airflow over the elevators. To steel my nerve against such occurrences, my instructor delighted in releasing the door at inopportune times. Between ear-splitting blasts of icy wintertime air from the open door, I learned that when the airplane yawed to one side, it meant an engine had quit. The challenge in any twin when this happens is to maintain flight control while identifying which engine has failed, then feather the propeller, which means you turn the blades of the propeller perpendicular to airflow to reduce drag, and turn off fuel to the failed engine. Having done these things promptly, but with care, so as not to accidentally disable the running engine, what normally remains is to fly to a nearby airport and land. In the Apache, however, an engine failure meant that the excitement was just beginning. One might logically assume, for example, that the reason for two engines would be to keep the plane flying if one failed. The Apache, however, incorporated anemic, 150 or 160 horsepower power plants on a curvaceously blunt and boxy airframe. When one engine quit, the other lacked enough oomph to sustain level flight, and immediately the old creature would begin drifting inexorably downward. Therefore, one needed to pick an attainable destination and quickly. Determining which engine has failed on any twin is a trick in itself. Next, on the Apache, it was necessary to remember under the pressure of the moment which engine powered what systems. Modern twin-engine planes feature dual alternators and vacuum pumps, one each per engine to provide backup power should the other fail. But early Apaches had only one of each. The left engine drove the airplane's sole electric generator and a hydraulic pump powering flaps and retractable landing gear. The right engine drove the solitary vacuum pump powering the instrument gyros. So as if an engine failure wasn't enough to keep a pilot busy, losing one engine in the Apache triggered a whole string of other emergencies. If the right engine failed, we'd lost our vacuum pump and therefore our heading and attitude indicators. Hopefully we were in visual conditions because if not, our lives hinged on the success of an engine-out, partial-panel instrument approach. If, on the other hand, we'd lost the left engine powering the hydraulic pump, I was to wait until approaching the airport, smash my face against the instrument panel, 
and manually lower the landing gear using 40 strokes of a hand pump located below the throttles. This was to be accomplished while holding full rudder with one foot to counter the drag of the failed engine and simultaneously keeping wings level with my other hand on the control wheel. Of course, extending the wheels too early in this underpowered airplane meant we would never make the airport. Too much drag. You've got it easy, asserted my instructor after one such adventure, noting my sweat-soaked shirt. This Apache has been upgraded with a second generator. At least before pumping the gear down, there's no need to shut off lights and radios to conserve battery juice. Most Apaches eventually received duplicate generators and vacuum pumps, but on those still flying, manually pumping down the landing gear remains standard procedure after losing the left engine. Given the Apache's foibles, I wasn't totally disappointed when it became unavailable due to a scheduling conflict. I switched to a more glamorous and modern Cessna 310 based at Kentland Airport, 40 miles from Lafayette in the other direction. Although far more costly to rent than the Apache, it was sleek, powerful, and sparkled like new. The Cessna proved much harder to fly than the Apache, however, which at least was slow and docile enough to accommodate its faults and mine. Approach speed for a 310 is nearly double that of an Apache, and with 600 pounds of fuel cantilevered and wingtip tanks, older 310s are notorious for popping wingskin rivets when planted on the ground too firmly on landing. My new instructor Don had just bought the beautiful airplane, and given the challenges, it's a wonder he ever allowed me to land it at all. When checkride time came, Don accompanied me to Sky King Airport in his precious twin Cessna. It seemed most appropriate, flying a 310 into that particular airport, for that was one model Sky King flew in the TV series. The plan was to complete my multi-engine commercial flight test first, and then add single-engine qualifications in one of Brownie's rental 172s. As usual, the examiner greeted us with a parcel of Sky King stories, during which I noted the wind picking up alarmingly outside the office window. Then Brownie conducted a leisurely oral, which I apparently passed as he sent me out to pre-flight the 310. My instructor Don caught my eye with a you'd better not ding my airplane glare on my way out the door. I'd been round and round the airplane pre-flighting probably eight or ten times before Brownie emerged from his office, and by now the crosswinds were howling. He was accompanied for some unknown reason by a high-energy little boy. Brownie asked a few questions, then recounted differences between Don's modern 310 and Sky King's ancestral songbird. Mind if my grandson rides along? asked Brownie, corralling the boy and motioning me toward the pilot's seat. This was unconventional for a flight test, to say the least. Er, uh, of course not, I said. Immediately upon reaching the back seat, the boy began fussing and squirming while Grandpa admonished him from beside me. This would be my first time flying the 310 without an instructor. 
With crosswinds hammering the narrow strip, I now also faced the distraction of an antsy six-year-old. I had just started the takeoff roll when Brownie signaled. Stop right there and shut down the engines, he said firmly, pointing at a spot outside the windshield. Petrified at the thought of failing, I chopped throttles and applied the brakes. Expensive as the 310 was to rent, it would be months before I could afford additional training and another check ride. Dejected, I halted the airplane mid-runway where Brownie had indicated. Wordlessly, he opened the door and stepped out onto the wing. What had I done wrong? I couldn't believe it was already over. Brownie's face reappeared upside down in the open door after the boy bounded out behind him. My grandson's decided not to go after all, he said. We watched the child run to the fence, awkwardly scale it, and disappear into a house along the runway. Okay, said Brownie, climbing back in. Let's get on with your flight test. The runway's narrow here, I said, relieved to be back in the game. I'll turn around at the end. Here, I'll do it, said Brownie, revving one engine and stomping on the opposite brake. The roaring power plant and squealing tires soon brought Don scrambling from the office. I avoided eye contact with him as Brownie again twirled the airplane, this time at the end of the runway for departure, directly before its horrified owner. That moment was long forgotten by the time Don met me back at the 310 that afternoon. In the meantime, I'd completed two check rides, first in the 310 followed by single-engine maneuvers in Brownie's Cessna 172. I now sported a fresh commercial certificate with single and multi-engine ratings. Having mastered the gleaming twin, my mind swelled with visions of commanding it homeward. The screeching turnaround had apparently made a more lasting impression on Don, however. I climbed on the wing and was reaching for the door handle when he touched my shoulder. You deserve a rest after that fine performance, said my instructor through a forced smile. You relax and I'll fly home. Crushed, I relinquished the controls. Oh well, I figured. At least I'll save a few bucks while Don is flying. But when we got back to the flight school at Kentland, he charged me for the entire flight anyway. Such are the tribulations of a new multi-engine pilot. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about this wackiest checkride of my flying career. You can find associated photos at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Thanks for riding along on today's flying carpet adventure. Please help me continue this podcast by sharing your favorite flying carpet episodes on social media, posting reviews on your favorite podcast directories, and donating via my Greg Brown Flying Carpet website. Thanks in advance for your support. You can find photos from most episodes at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out my book of aviation adventure stories, Flying Carpet. The Soul of an Airplane, for which I was named Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. Learn about that and my other aviation books at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com.
Also at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, you'll find my views from the flying carpet aerial photography, available in fine art metal prints and pilot achievement plaques. Oh, and I'd appreciate hearing your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Follow my social media sites, most of which can be found by searching Greg Brown Flying Carpet. And consider joining my student pilot pep talk group on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me on today's Flying Carpet Cockpit Adventure. Music by Hannes Brown. See you next time.